As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, July 21st. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we discuss a few recent promotions and debuts around the league, and we dig into an updated top 60 prospects list that Keith had go up on The Athletic today, actually. So very fresh content for us to dig into on this show. Keith, we begin today with another promotion from the Reds. Christian Encarnacion Strand, who has just hit pretty much everywhere he's been between the twin system and now more recently in the red system. He is up part of this Cincinnati lineup. The question for a long time has been, how do they make all the pieces fit through the first few days? It seems like he is sharing first base and DH with Joey Votto. And when anybody else needs a day off, they just use the position flexibility built in the roster to move everybody around. So Matt McClain moves from short to second and Spencer Steer plays third because Ellie De La Cruz plays short and then Will Benson's in the outfield or whatever the combination tends to be. It seems like everyone gets a day off and no one is losing a lot of playing time, at least as things are built right now. The bigger question is, how much do you expect Encarnacion Strand to hit, given the track record he's put together coming through the minors? Yeah, he's. It's interesting of all the big call-ups. Like we've had some top 100 prospects, some pretty significant guys get called up, but I put Encarnacion Strand in sort of a different category. Where yeah, I know he. I can see the stat line. People love to quote the stat line at me as if I don't have access to the internet. You have internet. But guess what? This you're online. Of the internet. It's actually how we're. T- that's how we're. T- I'm extremely online. That's how we're talking right now, Derek. Through the uh, internet. These are just electrons. I'm actually a chatbot. I'm a little bit of a skeptic on Encarnacion Strand in that this is a guy who chases stuff out of zone a lot. Now it's possible he is such a good bad ball hitter, and he did do a lot of that in AAA, that he can continue to be highly productive even with an approach that has him swinging a lot of pitches out of the strike zone. But the vast majority of guys who hit like that don't. It's just rarely a thing. There aren't a whole lot of Vlad Guerrero's out there. It turns out there's two, at least. Um, 
But I think this approach is pretty tough to carry forward. And what's going to have to happen with Encarnacion Strand is he's going to have to start laying off a lot of those pitches he was swinging at in AAA and having success on, or he's going to struggle. He's going to be, at, at the very least, a very low OBP guy and maybe even a low contact guy who still has huge power. So that's always going to be there. And he will hit his share of mistakes and he's playing in a home ballpark that uh, only enhances that. So I'm not saying I think he's terrible or anything. I just think that there is, that he's another guy, and we've seen a few of these this year, Matt. Mervis is another one, where the AAA stats don't really tell the whole story. And I think that – I hope that some of the more attentive fans are noticing this too. Like the, the gap between the majors and the minors, just gets, it's getting bigger. It feels like it's getting bigger all the time. And plenty of guys who are very good in AA and especially in AAA get to the majors – and it doesn't carry over. And maybe it will at some point. You know, I think of Gavin Stone was atrocious for the Dodgers in some brief time earlier this season and has been very good all the way up through the minors. He's got adjustments to make. A lot of these players will be able to make adjustments and carry forward. Maybe Encarnacion Strand does exactly the adjustment that I just said and becomes an above average regular. That is possible. But I think he might be he it's worth watching to see if he which categories he in. Is he another one of these guys where, yeah, what he did in triple A isn't really that predictive of what he's gonna do, especially in the short term in the big leagues. Now the games he started, as I mentioned, first base and DH is where he's been used. He made an appearance at third base. Where do you like Encarnacion Strand defensively? He might be playable at third base. Um, I'm not running him off the position. I think, you know, obviously easy thing to do would be ultimately to put him at first base. Right. But, and, you know, as you said, with Joey Votto, they were trying to give him some time off, et cetera. Votto's getting older. Sure. You could certainly do that. I would like to, and I understand they have, they have too many infielders as you were just saying as well in a vacuum. uh, Well, not in a vacuum because then he would, they would die. In a situation where they did not have all of these other infielders, I would let him play third base as long as possible and see if, especially working with the major league coaches, can improve it to the point where he's average or even slightly better. I don't think he has to move off the position. If you were asking me to put money on it, where do I think he ends up? Yeah, it's probably first base. But that's sort of a it's a little bit of a cop-out, right? That's my answer from the outside. If you're the Reds, what you're really thinking is, What's the best case scenario and how do we get there? Can we get to that point? So, of course, play him at third base um, whenever you can. This is they're, I mean, they're in a great situation, obviously. But that's a big challenge for them. If all these infielders, a lot of guys are playing not necessarily out of position, but maybe not where you'd ideally have them developmentally. And so, yeah, they're going to have, yeah, maybe Encarnacion Strand doesn't play a whole lot of third base in the big leagues. And that kind of stinks for him. But at the same time, if the if it's if his presence playing some first base and some DH is what really helps the club win, then that's what they need to do. Yeah, I think it's a revolving door at a few different spots with this group that they have and, and figuring out the long term homes will probably happen in the offseason or maybe after the trade deadline, depending on what the Reds do. It's possible that someone on this major league roster from this position group ends up getting flipped and more pitching ends up in Cincinnati right. as a result. Let's stay in the NL Central. Andy Rodriguez is now up for the Pirates. Interesting that he is catching, and we haven't seen Henry Davis catch yet for the Pirates since he debuted a few weeks ago. And You've talked about Andy Rodriguez having a lot more athleticism and versatility than the typical catching prospect, but uh, now that he's up, do you think he's up for good, and how much do you think Andy Rodriguez will hit over the course of the second half? I really like Andy Rodriguez. I think he's going to hit. I hope that the plan 
is to like look, make him the primary catcher. He's a better defensive catcher right now than Henry Davis. I am in the camp that says Henry Davis can be a catcher. However, they are in a situation where obviously they do have multiple catchers. Um, God, Andy Rodriguez is off to a tough start. I hadn't even realized. <laughs> um, seven strikeouts in his first nine PA. That is not ideal, shall we say. Uh, he is their best option for an everyday catcher. And I mean, they were getting nothing out of the catching position before he came up too. So I would let him be the primary catcher. I hope that their plan for the remainder of the season is to let Henry Davis do some catching. Don't give up on that entirely. It seems awfully early to be doing that. Uh, And also Andy Rodriguez can play other positions. He is by multiple accounts, really good at first base and apparently he's expressed an interest in playing some second base and he's athletic enough. You could probably stick this guy almost anywhere and he'd be able to learn or adapt to it given a little bit of time. That's also a really valuable thing. Now, eventually he may just settle in as the everyday catcher and you decide, well, we're probably never going to play him anywhere else. Or he plays first base once every two weeks or something just to give him a breather, but not lose the bat from the lineup. The most important thing I think for the Pirates short and long term, though, is you just make him the everyday catcher or more or the almost everyday catcher because it's just such a huge upgrade over anybody else they've had at that position so far this year. Yeah, they had a, a few different guys rotating through the middle infield. They added another one to the equation, Leover Piguero, also now uh, back up because he debuted last season. Yep. And with O'Neill Cruz out, that's one spot that you ordinarily, you know, that he's an everyday guy when sure. he's healthy for this Pirates team. So you have extra short-term flexibility. You have to figure this out if you're the Pirates. You have to figure out what combination of Piguero or Nick Gonzalez or... Tucapita Marcano or Jared Triolo, which combination of those guys is most likely to fit in with your other core pieces? I think their priorities are a lot different now in July than mm-hmm. they were just two months ago. So as you look at Piguero, how do you see him fitting into their long-term plans? What type of player do you think he can become? I, I think I had Piguero as a top 100 prospect maybe two years ago, and he has just completely stalled. Um, he's Real And it really comes down to uh, just a, a lack of impact quality. He is, he just hasn't started to hit the ball harder anywhere near enough. Um, and that's the, to me, because he's actually a reasonably disciplined hitter. He's certainly a high contact hitter. He's a plus runner. He can definitely play shortstop. I just worry he's, I mean, it sounds almost simplistic. I just worry he doesn't hit the ball hard enough, unfortunately. Um, He really does not seem to have gotten a whole lot stronger over those two years. And that's disappointing because when he was 20 and showed all of these core skills, it was, oh, this guy's just got to get some natural physical development and he'll get stronger and not be a power guy. And we're just talking about hitting the ball hard enough that you can get some, you can you know, turn on better fastballs and you'll get some extra base power. And you're not one of those hitters where pitchers just say, well, I can just throw this guy strike after strike after strike. Cause what's he going to do? Hit a, hit a weak ground ball. I don't know if he's quite down at that level, but it is, I've mentioned this before. It's the Nick Madrigal problem at some point, Xavier Edwards, another one where, you know, these are players where they're, they're things you like about them, but they don't hit the ball hard enough. And there is certainly a lower bound somewhere where you have some threshold where you just have to get over that to be able to be any kind of productive big leaguer. It is like saying you can't be a major league pitcher if you're right-handed through 86 miles an hour. You just can't do that anymore. That's that's over. There's some threshold where hitters have to hit the ball harder, hard enough 
to get to that point to be a productive big leaguer. And I don't know if Piguero is over that line yet. Now, he's only 22. He could very well still get there. I certainly hope he still gets there because, like I said, there are a lot of other things I like about the player. This would be a really good time for him to do it because there's an opportunity to play, even if it doesn't get him a long-term job in Pittsburgh. Maybe it's a little bit of a showcase, right? Until O'Neill Cruz comes back, play really well, and you get traded to someplace you can play every day. So I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he shows better contact quality and and uh, whether that gets him a long-term job in Pittsburgh or an opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, and he hasn't really seen a lot of time at AAA, so if Piguero struggles, they can send him down for a while yes. and kind of see what happens in 2024 uh, and beyond. But the door's open at least temporarily for him to play a bit more in Pittsburgh. Uh, Quinn Priester came up, and his prospect luster has faded a bit, uh, just just to put it mildly. Uh, what's changed with Quinn Priester? You know, What has been the setback in his development over time, and what has caused this sort of drop in his, his overall outlook? I think it's little things, and I don't think any of these are gonna um, are going to hold him back long term. I like. I still think this guy could be a mid rotation starter. I love the delivery. I think he's a great athlete. Since he's added a slider, um, you know, I think he's got potentially two plus pitches in both of his breaking balls, and they have at least in AAA generated a lot of swing and misses, which is obviously a great indicator. Um, one of the biggest problems he's had, he's had, and this should be familiar to Pirates fans, thank you, Mitch Keller too, is Priester uh, doesn't have a great changeup. It's certainly his fourth pitch of four. And as a result, left-handed hitters have gotten to him a good bit. And and also that can even, even with some same side hitters, having a, a weapon like that can help you turn a lineup over three times, which some teams are still asking starters to do. And I, I am fine with that. I don't think anybody should be trying to have a starter go the fourth time through. But um, in Priester's case, I think that is the number one thing that he he needs something, whether it is an improved changeup, a splitter. I think that with the with Keller, the solution has really been the cutter, something like that, um, to really help him control left-handed hitters. Because otherwise, that's that's just going to be the death of him. They're just going to opposing teams are going to stack the lineup with lefties as much as they possibly can, and and then he's going to have trouble, especially trying to go through a lineup even twice. Uh, he also didn't throw his. He's he walked more guys in AAA this year. Now I, we've talked about this before. Walk rates are up in AAA, and I don't know which that is. Is his command or control actually any worse this year, or is it just AAA doing that because of the automated uh, challenge system at that level? He's always had. He's got a great delivery. I've always thought he would be a command guy, and I still sort of hold out hope that that's what he will be. So, but you know, if you're looking what else is going on with him, that would be number two. Number one with a bullet. Is figuring out that pitch for lefties. Number two is, hey, you got to you got to throw more strikes and especially command the fastball too. Because I don't think the fastball is elite. I think he's got the two two potential out pitches in those breaking balls. But this is a guy who's going to have to particularly work around the perimeter of the strike zone and stay out of the heart of the strike zone with the fastball because I don't think it is the kind of fastball that's going to miss a ton of bats, particularly if he gets too much of the heart. Yeah, I know he missed some time last season, too, mm -hmm. with the, an oblique injury. So really, it was like a half season's worth of starts at double A, pitched in the fall league, uh, and then got about a half season at triple A before this debut. Maybe the Pirates keep him up and just see what happens over the course of the second half. I think it's it's fine that they do. I like see, see what kinds of adjustments he can make. If he's really struggling, of course, send him back down. But there's no downside at this point to seeing if he can make a few of those adjustments against top level hitters. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about the A's for a few minutes. We don't do that very often on this show, and usually when we do, it's about a move to Las Vegas. But two <laughs> prospects came up coming out of the All-Star break, Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Galoff. They're playing pretty much every day. In the first week they've been up, makes sense. You wouldn't call them up if you weren't going to play them, given that there's not really anybody blocking them. Let's start with Tyler Soderstrom. The numbers don't really jump off the page at AAA, uh, but I think there's always been this belief that there's a ton of power that will come through kind of regardless of what happens with that average in OBP. The first two parts of the slash line might just be okay, but the slug should be there reasonably quickly. And this is a guy that's been very young for each of his minor league stops as well. Yeah, his... I was actually surprised that they called him up. Not not with Geloff, certainly, but very surprised to see Soderstrom get called up off of like a pretty bad performance. I actually thought in AAA. Now he's really young, so it's not. You know, I, I'm not as worried long term. But playing in Vegas, extreme hitters park with as again with the automated ball strike challenge system, driving up walk rates. At one point earlier this year, walk rates were up twenty percent in the PCL. Um, get a three hundred three on base percentage. <laughs> And a walk rate that was only about 6% and also a pretty high strikeout rate as well. Like these are very poor indicators. Um, and if you dig a little deeper into some of the pitch data, that it kind of backs that up as well. And to me, you've got a 21-year-old who's still played just about a half a season at AAA and not performed well. I don't know why you call that guy up. There's not a pressing need, in my opinion, to call that guy up. And he's certainly young enough that saying, we're going to have you spend just the rest of the minor league season or most of it in AAA. And then you call a guy up in September. There's no reason not to at that point. But I, I do worry about calling a guy up before he's ready when you're, you know, are you setting him up for success or are you setting him up for failure? And it seems a little bit more like you might be setting him up for failure if he's having that much trouble with the basics of say ball strike recognition or swing decisions in AAA with multiple factors in his favor, what is it going to go like uh, when he's in the big leagues? And that is, you know, I think Soderstrom's an interesting prospect, certainly going forward. He does have power upside. I know a lot of people who believe he can really hit. I think he really has to hit because he's not going to have a whole lot of defensive value anywhere. But even if he's not a high walk guy or high on base guy, he, he has to be better disciplined to get the hit and power tools to really play up. And I just don't think he's there right now. 
yeah, could be um, a bumpy path as he gets to that eventual ceiling here in the next couple of seasons. Zach Galloff was a lot more impressive at AAA. He is two years older than Soderstrom. Mm-hmm. Strikeout rate was a little high, 27.9%, yep. but you do see a lot of walks in there. 13.3% was the walk rate this year, over 69 games, a dozen homers, 20 steals. The A's are going to play him a lot at second base. Uh, how much of a ceiling do you think Galloff still has to reach and, and just how good of a player do you think he is right now? Yeah, I think Galoff can be a regular maybe now or or in the very, very near future. Like you said, he is two years older. He's an ACC product, came out of University of Virginia. His brother was actually just drafted by the Dodgers with their second pick out of the University of Virginia. You know, the two knocks on Galoff in college were he was having trouble throwing at third base. And I think a little bit of that was some has just cleared up with time. And he's fine at second base anyway. It's so much less of an issue. And also, he wasn't really getting to his power that much because Virginia was very much preaching contact over trying to drive the ball. I joked that it looked like he was always hitting with two strikes. We always complain so many guys don't have two-strike approaches. It seemed like he had a two-strike approach in all counts, no matter how many strikes. And I think he's let that go a little bit more. I think he's he's actually trying to drive the ball. And I could see him over the course of a full season. Okay, Oakland's park is not great for this. But in a neutral park, being a 15 to 20 homer guy with a pretty high batting average, decent on-base percentage, like solid regular at second base. Maybe he can be a little bit more. I'd be curious. I've never seen him play second. I've only seen him play third multiple times. Would be very curious what the defense looks like at second, especially if he gets more time there. I don't. I actually always thought his feet and hands were fine at third base. It was the throwing was the big problem. So could he end up being an above-average or better defender at second, especially with time and maybe, again, major league coaching? be very curious to see if that gets better because that could the ceiling's got some variance i think more around the defensive portion i think everybody believes that Gelloff is going to hit some and he's going to hit for some power and have decent plate discipline the position in defense has i think long been the bigger question on what kind of prospect he's going to be i think the the good news is if you've been trudging through this season as an a's fan there mm-hmm. are a few more interesting players on the roster now to watch between soderstrom and galoff langoliers yeah. who's been there all season it looks like they're playing jordan diaz a little bit more I'm surprised they didn't do that sooner that's a good thing see what he can do you know jj bladé has been playing a lot uh history ruiz hurt right now having a nice season from a speed perspective at least they're they're getting there it's mm-hmm. not as great as it should be for the talent they traded away but it's a much more watchable starting nine than it was at the beginning of the season so we'll consider that a a small step forward at least for A's fans from a just a viewing enjoyment perspective Uh, one more player I wanted to ask you about Johan Rojas got called up by the Phillies jumping over AAA it looks like this is really a temporary short side platoon role Christian Pache could be back by the end of the season which is good news for him because it looked Mm -hmm. like he may have suffered a season injury earlier in the year Uh, but Johan Rojas longer term is is probably the more fun question to explore. Uh, what kind of ceiling do you see for Rojas, even though this run with the Phillies might be really limited in terms of how much he's used? Yeah, I think he's a, a good regular. He can really play defense. He can really run and he can put the bat on the ball. And I don't think there's going to be a ton of power and go back to the earlier thing talking about like he does have to show he can hit the ball hard enough in very limited time so far this year, right? We haven't seen a lot of like, uh, you know, I think I just looked up, he's got nine balls in play. So it's not much of a sample, but he's also not hitting the ball very hard. <laughs> so we'd definitely like to see more of that. Um, and, but it's also a pretty low bar for him to clear because it's, 70 defense and center, maybe better. He's a 70 runner or maybe better. 
that's going to carry you a long way. Like I think the floor is the the a slightly better Roman Quinn who doesn't get hurt all the time. And I have quite a bit of hope that he can end up an above average regular who just hits for a good enough batting average because of his contact rate and who can take a walk that it just get, it gets him over the line because he's adding a ton of value on defense. And the one thing last year, like last year, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really hitting the ball that hard. He wasn't driving the ball much at all, but he did all of these other things that I was talking about. And what we saw from him at Reading, and I actually saw him once in Reading right before he got called up, actually, it was like, oh yeah, he looks like a different player. He looks stronger. He looks like he is at least trying to just drive the ball to the gaps. I don't think he's going to be a whole lot more than that. He might be able to ambush a handful of homers. I doubt it's more than seven or eight homers a year. But I don't think it's zero homers a year either. I I really like Rojas. I think that type of player has been disdained a bit for a while because because they don't hit for power, right? Because their offensive stat line is not necessarily that impressive. Um, It's a bit of a throwback in that we love the industry loved those players certainly in the seventies and eighties. Guys who could really play defense up the middle and really run and just put the ball in play and run like hell. I'm into that as long as you're strong enough to get over that line that I, that we were just talking about earlier. Yeah, I think we're going to see a, a kind of a return of the 8 to 10 homer guy that can steal 35 or 40 bases. A lot of those players have Love disappeared in recent yep. years. So it, I like it because you just get different player types, right? Building rosters different ways oh, is yeah. a, a lot more fun than finding nine guys that try to just mash. I mean, right. mashing's fun, but there's other things players can do to add value. Well, and if we're going to make all these rule changes that are supposed to be designed to get more balls hit into play and get more defense, get the defense involved a lot more and get guys stealing bases a lot more. Well, Rojas is the kind of player you should be going after. I'm not saying we should take a guy who's, you know, fourth round talent, suddenly take him in the first round because of that. But there are, there are a handful of guys like Rojas who can, who do those two things, play up the middle defense and run exceptionally well. They're near or at the top of the scale in both of those skills. They're not all going to develop enough as hitters, but I want to have a couple of those guys in my system and see which ones we can develop as as hitters. And, and then, you know, on the other side, James Wood, uh, the Nats prospect, who right now looks like the, the sort of crown jewel of the return for the for the Soto trade to the Padres. You know, he's the uh, he's a totally different type of player, but he can really run. He can really play center field defense despite being giant. He's six seven, um, and he plays center field easy too and his the shape of his line offensively is going to be very different because it's much more power with issues with contact but it's that same foundation right you don't have to hit as much if you're doing those two things playing really good defense well above average defense at a position up the middle and adding value with your speed base stealing base running etc the bar is lower to clear and i think some teams may come around or be coming around i don't think this is new to finding other ways for players to get to that minimum level of value that makes them everyday players. Yeah. I mean, you can bring guys up to the big leagues a little sooner, get plenty of production from them, have them figure out how to solve their biggest problems against top level pitching. And they probably end up better off for it in the long run. I think James Wood is a really good entry point into your updated top 60 subscribers. The athletic can check that out. Athletic.com slash baseball show gets you a subscription for Two dollars a month for the first year. Wood's a fascinating player. I mean, you mentioned six seven, but the tools are legit, and the double A numbers right now are 
a little down relative to the expectations, but he's young for the level. He's very young for the level. And I think you're right. I think he does look like the best player the Nationals actually got back in the Juan Soto trade. Mm-hmm. What are your concerns? I know you get to see a lot of him when he was at Wilmington. What is, what's like the biggest issue for Wood to figure out between now and his eventual debut, whether that's a, a year from now or a year and a half from now? I mean, a lot's going to depend on performance between now and then. But what do you think the biggest adjustments are going to be for him between now and when he gets to D.C.? The the only issue I have for him with him, and it is big, uh, is that it's the strike zone. It's swing and miss in the zone, especially. He's going to swing and miss a lot. Um, the question is, can he hold that down to a level where everything else comes into play? And that is not just a mental challenge. It is he's six foot seven. I have said this many, many times. Hitters that size have a very poor track record. And there are a couple of reasons, but maybe the the most obvious one is their strike zone's huge. It's really hard to cover north, south, east, west when, um, you know, north, south, just because of your size and east, west, just because of the length of your arms and hit pitchers love. They see a guy like that come up to the plate and they're, well, I'm going to pound him in under his hands because he can't cover there and then go away because it's too hard to make that adjustment. I mean, this was something I saw a lot of Aaron Judge coming up through the minors who's I think going to be when it's all said and done, the most successful player, six, seven or taller hitter. I mean, in history, and it was a real process for him as he would move up to a new level and pitchers would see him. All right, here's the approach. And he would work and he would cover inside. They'd start attacking him away, away, away. Okay. Work on covering away. And it was, I give him a ton of credit. He, He had to work as much as any player I can think of on refining his approach and his recognition, understanding how to cover all parts of the zone so that he could keep his strikeout rate down enough that everything else could come into play. Also, you look at his strikeout rates in the minors at the time, 10 years ago, they seemed horrendous. And now they're like, what? Guys do that all the time too. We've our, our <laughs> calibration, we have to recalibrate. I saw Wood make some adjustments in high A, but I also saw him get away with a lot of stuff because the pitching's not great at this level. And I think since he's gotten to double A, now he's having a lot of trouble with contact. And that's going to continue. And it's on him how much of an adjustment can he make at each level um, to pitchers seeing his size and attacking him in these different ways. And can he cut the swing and miss down, hold it down to a point where everything else he can do comes into play? Because like I said, he can really run. It is a very impressive center field. Like it is a, it looks effortless. You think he's not even running that hard and you look and there he is, he's under the ball and it's huge power. It's three seventies on the scouting report. So I'm hopeful, certainly. I mean, you still got him ranked, I think pretty high for a guy who's striking out the level where he's striking out, but I also recognize there's some risk here and, um, you know, this could, even if it doesn't totally go south, it could stall for a bit. He may need more time at, at one of these levels. Maybe he spends a full year at double A, which he's not spent, you know, he didn't spend the full year. He was only in high A for what, two months or so. He might need a lot of time somewhere to make that next big adjustment. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We should talk about Jackson Holiday, who is also at Double A now and is number one on your updated prospect list. You wrote this as part of the blurb. There might not be a player who's increased his stock as much as Holiday has in the last 18 months. I mean, number one on this list in just about what it's been a year since mm-hmm. he was drafted, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's really hard to do. And it's only been a week, but he's already holding his own at double A as a 19 year old, which is kind of nudging us closer to this point of like, we can't really rule anything out with Jackson Holiday anymore. He seems like he can do everything. Yeah. And I don't even know if he's shaving yet. He's got quite the baby face. He looks like he's 15 years old. Oh, yeah. He absolutely does. His face does. He's filling out already. He can kind of do it all. I give a ton of credit. Well, obviously credit to the kid. But when the Orioles took him first overall, I don't know. Nobody said it was a bad pick. But there was no consensus who the top guy was. Or if there was any consensus, it was Drew Jones, Andrew's kid, who's just Mm -hmm. been hurt this whole year with two different injuries now. It did not seem like a reach necessarily. But the Orioles obviously had some real conviction that this was the guy. And they were right. And if you look at the Orioles track record in the draft in the last five years, right, since Michael Elias and company took over, they've been right a lot. They've done a really, really good job with hitters in the draft. Now, this year, they opened up the approach and started taking some pitchers, which is great. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out, because obviously, that's not something they've done. But they really, um, I think they believe they had a pretty good approach, good process for identifying hitters. And they've... and, and not just college hitters where we have a ton of data, but high school hitters too. And they've done a, a superb job in seeing holiday multiple times this year. I think I've seen him four times now counting the futures game. Um, you know, I think he's, I mean, obviously I put him as top prospect in baseball. I think he's a superstar. Like that is high, high end offense for a shortstop, you know, peak Troy Tulowitzki type years at shortstop, a guy who's challenging for MVP awards. And the Orioles already have one or two of those guys on the roster slash in the system. So really, really like sucks to be another AL East team, I guess. Yeah, it's impressive. You're right about the holiday versus Drew Jones kind of at the top last year. I, I Drew Jones is just outside your top 50 now because he's barely played. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ding him too much, but it's just been it's been such a miserable year and change. I mean, he suffered that shoulder injury. It was the first day that he was on the field at the Diamondbacks complex. And this year being just a, a series of setbacks as well. I think it's easy to be really discouraged when a player has a, a run of bad luck like this. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is like there were plenty of reasons to love Drew Jones a little over a year ago. 
how many of those reasons have actually gone away for good in light of what's happened so far? I don't know that any of it's gone away for good. I want to see, we just got to see him healthy, right? And there's been talk of the oh, Diamondbacks have been trying to do stuff with his swing, try to cut down on some of the swing and miss. Who knows? We've barely seen him. He played two weeks, two to three weeks, got hurt, was trying to come back from the first injury, got hurt again, and hasn't come back since then. And you know, I didn't, I actually tried to see him in spring training and a couple times I was on their fields, he just wasn't playing. Um, but I heard it wasn't looking great. So yeah, but that's all that stuff always gets me. It's a little wishy-washy, right? We also didn't, we just haven't seen him play a whole lot of games. So I would much rather putting him where I put him on the list was very much a reserving judgment, right? Just saying, let's wait and see. Hopefully he gets another month or so of playing time before this year is out and we can see performance, batted ball data, and what the swing looks like and what the body looks like for that matter. We just haven't seen a lot of any of this. So it's really hard to evaluate a guy where he's, it's almost like, you know, they put him in a box in the closet for the season. I mean, it's like, why is a guy like Miguel Blyce from the Red Sox, who was, I don't know, around 70 or so on my off season list, I think, you know, he, I didn't mention him at all in the column. Well, cause he played like a month, did not hit well, and then suffered a season ending injury. Who knows, right? We just, we don't have more information. And so with guys like that, I generally want to just say, you know, put a pin in them. Not literally, that would hurt. And just wait and see. Let's get them back on the field so that we can see where we stand. I don't want to knock a guy off like that unless, you know, the, there's some reason to think it's going to change his skill going forward. Guy with a chronic back injury or something. And you don't want to move a guy up because it hasn't done anything. So and I, I look at Drew Jones very much in that light where... You know, what we saw from him was not great, but we didn't see a lot. And so I couldn't take him off the list entirely. So I just sort of put him towards the what would be the middle-ish of a top 100 and say, just hold him right there. Let's revisit. Hopefully, by the time we get to the offseason, we've seen him play again, whether it is in the minors later in the season or maybe he does a stint in fall league. He'd be very young, but still, it's at-bats or at-bats. I think any sending any player to fall league who just needs to make up playing time is a good developmental strategy. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting if they did opt to do that with Drew Jones this year would add another really interesting player to the mix and certainly we're we're all on board for that. Ethan Salas cracked the top 5 on this list. He wasn't eligible for any previous lists. So 36 games so far. He's 17 years old playing at Single A Lake Elsinore and he's been fantastic. 286, 391 507 for the slash line. He's popped six homers. He's stealing some bases. You've talked before on this show about just how much more advanced he is behind the plate than the typical teenager. He looks like he's five plus years older than he actually is in terms of how he carries himself. How surprised are you that he's hitting already at single A, given how young he is? Yeah, Salas was... um, That's an interesting one, right? How aggressive do you want to be? He is a really good defensive catcher already at 17. He turned 17 on June 1st. He's the youngest player on the list. He was younger than, I believe, everybody who was just drafted a couple of weeks ago, younger than the youngest high school player in the draft. I mean, he really is a high school junior, um, already playing in low A and playing really well and showing some power and showing really good ball strike recognition and catching pretty well. And he can really throw. He's bilingual. Um, which does matter, I think, a lot for catchers, especially because if nothing else, teams are going to ask 
a lot of catchers to, well, let's be clear. Teams like to ask catchers whose first language is Spanish to learn English. I don't know that they're doing anywhere near the same asking catchers whose first language is English to learn Spanish, but that's a conversation for another day, I guess. But he's already got that. I saw him catch Joe Musgrove in an intra-squad game in spring training and got to hear like tiny bits of them talking, really Musgrove pulling him aside as they were walking off and giving him some suggestions on how to catch certain pitches. This is unbelievable. Salas was still 16 at the time and getting and clearly taking in instruction from a big leaguer like that. I was, I thought he might get to low A by the end of this year and they sent him to low A basically to start his pro career and he's been great there. So couldn't put him at one or two. And I think the two Jacksons at the top were, you know, they're, they're in a class of their own. After that, he could go kind of anywhere. It's pretty incredible how, just how advanced this kid is at such a young age. And it is very easy to look at him and say, that kid might be a superstar. If he just stays healthy, just because catchers, you know, it's hard on the body. I mean, he's in the big leagues before he's 20. And he is an everyday catcher for a very long time who, at the worst, should draw a bunch of walks and hit for some power, which would probably make him an all-star, even if he doesn't hit for a ton of average, which I still think he will. I mean, you can look at his age and his production right now and say, how is this guy not, you know, a, a Adley Rutschman type offensive player at his peak? He's got all of the skills that you would expect to see if you could turn back the clock on an Adley Rutschman and, and see actual production from him at age 17. The, the aggressive assignment and how well he's handled it makes you think he's going to get to the big leagues a lot faster than the typical catching prospect on top of all that. I was thinking about this in kind of in the light of the comments you made a little earlier. The gap, and I agree with you on this, the gap between the minors and the majors is as wide as it's ever been. It's been that way for a couple of years. It felt like during the lost pandemic season, especially, that opened up the divide even more. And yet we're still seeing these prospects come in and do things we've not seen very often. Guys that can move a lot faster. Guys that look big league ready at a much younger age than we're accustomed to. What do you attribute that to? Is that something in you know the, the youth levels, the amateur levels that has changed, that has enabled players to train and get onto a path that makes this more possible? Is it teams being more willing to let guys move through the system faster? I mean, I think there's, it's, it's probably a lot of factors, but what do you kind of chalk all of this up to? It seems like we're getting a lot of guys doing things we just haven't seen in volume before, and it's happening almost year over year now. We have rapid rising players doing things we just haven't quite seen in the past. Yeah, I think it's not every organization, right? It seems like certain organizations are really willing to push those guys. The Nats just promoted Brady House. Brady House was promoted earlier this season from low A, where he'd spent a little time last year before he got hurt, to high A here in Wilmington. He was here for 16 games, and they promoted him again. I don't think most clubs do that. So some clubs are are getting, or I guess staying, aggressive on those very young prospects. And some, I mean, I was talking to a scout the other day who was talking about I forgot the pro- actual specific prospect. Oh, he was talking about a, a 24-year-old in the Yankee system who's not really a great prospect necessarily, but it was sort of, why is this guy still in A-ball? There's just no purpose. Mm. He's not a non-prospect, and it was, well, nothing's happened, right? He's not learning anything. He's not developing. You got to keep some of those guys moving. And so, you know, just the very what the wide discrepancy across organizations in how fast or not they move certain players. And... um I think there are some clubs that are just recognizing, you know what, if they're ready, they're ready. 
and you know, this is true with hitters and pitchers. I think it's even more true with pitchers at this point. Might as well just get him in the big leagues and let him start producing. Uh, maybe there's less of a concern about failure. You know, I always thought that one thing that held teams back from doing that, from promoting guys, was just fear of failure, fear, fear that the player was going to flop and then it was going to reflect bad. It was going to derail the player's development, also reflect badly on the front office. Maybe the folks who drafted him or signed him or traded for him. I don't know. Our team's less concerned about that than they used to be. That would be nice to think because it's not a good reason to promote or decline to promote a certain player. Um, and also just in general, right? We have seen the last five to 10 years, a ton of players as young as 19 getting to the big leagues and being productive. Yeah. A lot of different factors in play. Interesting too, I'm looking at the top 40. I think I counted four pitchers. Paul Skeen's now the highest ranked pitcher on the list after being drafted 1-1 by the Pirates just a few weeks ago. Is this the result of so many promotions? A lot of the promotions this year were due to injuries, but also what you just said. like We, we had guys that were ready, and when you're ready, why, why waste those innings? Why run the extra risk of breaking down at double A AA or triple A if the stuff is good enough to get big league hitters out? Is that part of why this list is so hitter-friendly now up through the top 40 or so? I think a lot of pitchers have either gotten hurt or come to the big leagues this year, and that has wrecked the list. Also, this was not a great pitching draft in the end. I mean, it was, but there was some pitching depth in this draft that just happened. You know, Rhett Lauder probably makes my top 100 as the only other pitcher from this year's draft class to make a to make the top 100. I didn't go 100 deep, obviously. Um, he would be the next guy, and there are a lot of guys kicking around the low minors who could be really interesting. You know, somebody gave me a note the other day on a, like um, a, a guy, Peyton, well, I'm actually want to make sure I get the name right. And he was Peyton Wilson in the Dodgers system who kind of came out of nowhere. Peyton Martin, sorry. Um, 94, 98 with a 55 slider, really athletic. He's only going three innings at a time in low A right now, but you know, freaking Dodgers was just 17th round draft pick a year ago. That guy's really interesting, but he hasn't broken through. There's just sort of this gap in the minors. People can't see me gesturing, right? A lot of guys who've gotten in the majors and thus aren't eligible for the list, then kind of a gap in the high minors. There's not a lot of great pitching in double AA, A, triple A in terms of high-end prospects, but then you get down to A ball, and there are a lot of guys like um like that or or people ask why isn't jacob mizurowski on the list because it's 270s at least in his fastball and his slider i think that guy's a reliever now he might be a really good reliever could, could he be josh Hader? and people make that comparison to josh Hader a lot because obviously they're both brewers but you know they're not the same left-handed right-handed slightly different arsenals but both very reliverish deliveries from day one nobody really thought Hader was going to be a starter, but he ended up a really high-end reliever, and that's a two-war guy for a bunch of years. Like That's a pretty good prospect, actually. This is not saying Mizorowski is not a great prospect, but if you're looking at him and thinking that's a number one starter, I have a really hard time with that. You got to watch this guy pitch and see what the delivery looks like. Um, that said, those two pitches, could they're going to miss a lot of bats, and he could be a multi-inning reliever, or he could just be a high-leverage reliever, and he's going to have a lot of value. There's a bunch of those guys, I think, kicking around. He's he's being, he's the best of them. Orion Kirkering in the Philly system is another guy like that, maybe a lesser version, but same idea. Those guys are going to pitch in the big leagues. They're going to have some value, but they're not starters. And I don't see a ton of starters with enough ceiling plus probability kicking around in the minors for this particular list. 
that could be different in January, right? We'll get some of these guys from the draft, even if they're just in instructs and people see them. Also, we'll see some development as the season goes on. Maybe guys move up a level and start pitching against better competition. And that helps me move them up in my rankings. Because all of these rankings, we I create these lists and then circulate them to scouts and executives I know and say, hey, what do you think? Pick it apart, move them around. And they do quite a bit, quite substantially. You know what they can get this year? A whole lot of suggestions of pitchers to put on the list. It was a lot more hitters. The injuries too, we just learned this week, Andrew Painter was recommended to have Tommy John surgery. He, of course, would have yep. been probably on the list if he was completely healthy. He might have been in the big leagues. He might have been off the list because he was in the big leagues. He was my number, think th- so. number two right-handed pitching prospect, number three overall pitching prospect coming into the season. Um, and then he hasn't thrown a pitch since, which is pretty lousy. Now he's not going to pitch till 2025. And that's if he comes back hundred percent from the Tommy John surgery, he'll probably have a limited workload the first year. This sucks. This is pretty lousy for him and for the Phillies. And I think just for baseball fans in general, because a healthy Andrew Painter is really good and really fun to watch. Um, Yeah, that just happens. I know people like to hand wave away the Tommy John, but it's not nothing. And it does cost him a lot of time. The worst part is I'm not questioning the Phillies medical decisions, but if he'd had the surgery in April, He'd pitch at some point next year. Now, because he's probably having the surgery, I don't think he's actually scheduled the surgery yet. But even if he had it while we're recording this, he's not pitching again until instructs of next year. Yeah, that's uh, the shame, unfortunately, with Andrew Painter. And you're right. I think he would have been a big part of the back of the Phillies rotation for this season as well if he had been healthy. One more player to ask you about before we go. One of the biggest movers on the list, Junior Caminero in the Rays organization. When you're talking about some teams being more willing to aggressively promote prospects, the Rays were not one of the teams that came to mind. Of course, they moved Wander Franco through their system quickly, but he's Wander. He's kind of on his own timetable. Junior Caminero is just 20 years old. He turned 20 earlier this month, so he's already at AA. He spent half of the season so far at that level, and he's more than holding his own. He's hitting 289. He's got a 351 OBP, 444 slug. It's not quite as eye-popping as what he was doing to high A pitching before the promotion, but given the age especially, this is a really impressive run for him at double A so far. Yeah, it's the the age, the feel to hit already. Scouts freaking love this guy. High belief in the bat. My understanding is the batted ball data really backs it up as well. You know, this is another one of those kids like it, it's not quite wander but it's not not like that when wander broke out that one year where he was in pulaski in the old appalachian league there was very quickly a lot of talk like, this guy's going to be like is he the best prospect in baseball and i think i had him like third on my off-season list and he was number one shortly thereafter and that was not even i, you know, I think everybody had him right we all sort of saw him that way pretty quickly i, I mean cameron is not not like that he's pretty advanced as a hitter and there's high degree of confidence across the board that this is going to carry forward and he's going to be a guy who gets to the majors very quickly and and is a well above average hitter for his position in the very near future and i almost feel obligated to mention the rays got him in a very minor trade from cleveland for a pitcher named tobias myers who the guardians then released i think four months later so that one's going to sting a little bit Tobias Myers has bounced around a little bit, too. I think he's been in the Brewers organization at one point. It's still there right now uh, at AA, if I'm not mistaken. So that that one hurts. 
we are going to go, but you want to check out the whole list, you can do that. It's the updated top 60 prospect list. The athletic.com slash baseball show gets you a subscription, $2 a month for the first year. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Enjoy the baseball this weekend. We're back on Monday. <laughs>